Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, dear listeners. This is Matt Drinkon, your host of the Eternal Optimist podcast. And we are here to help show through interviewing successful people that you can overcome the hardest stuff in your world and still do it and you can make it and you can do it too, my friends. And I've got someone on the show today that is going to electrify and inspire you. Uh, Yes, I'm setting a high bar and this person will certainly meet and exceed that bar. Let me just tell you a little bit about Mr. Lawrence Dunning today. Just a couple things. First of all, let me just start with this. He has run a marathon on every continent. Yes, that includes Antarctica. Let's just start with that. That's really enough. He is a retired former pro MMA fighter. I was introduced to him and the person that introduced me said, this guy has been kicking ass for a long time. So yes, he's a fighter. Yes, he is a second degree Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And those of you in my jiu-jitsu crowd out there know that takes serious commitment, time and patience. And you gotta be tough. You gotta learn how to rebound. You gotta learn how to pivot. And so this is a master at that. May I tell you more? He also was a Chicago Golden Gloves boxing champion back in the day, right? And I'm gonna ask him about that because that just sounds like, how the heck do you become the Golden Gloves champ in Chicago of all places? So he is a top 1% agent in real estate in Chicago, right? So this man has accomplished much and he's incredibly humble about it too. I'm looking at him right now in the camera and he's humble, he's down to earth. He is a passionate parent of a young family. So this is an amazing opportunity today. It's a rocking podcast too. So we're going to get into his business, his podcast, his life, and talk to a real inspirational character. I've only known him for 10 minutes now. I'm already inspired. So team, it is my sincere honor and pleasure to introduce you to Mr. Lawrence Dunning. Uh, Lawrence, how are you today, sir? Matt, I'm great. And thank you for the instruction. And I love the name of this, The Eternal Optimist. I think a lot of people are struggling and maybe we can prepare for the worst, but I think we should remain eternal optimists. So I I really love that title. And, And you as well, you have such great energy. It's really an honor to be here. Thank you, sir. It is great to have you on, Lawrence. And let's start off with your accent, if we may. You talk a little different than someone I would think would be uh, living in Chicago or Indiana nowadays. Can you take us back to a little bit of an origin story about your accent and then we'll just take it from there. What's your origin story, Lawrence? So I'm originally from London and when I graduated, I really had this dream about, I've got my career that I want to do down the road, but I, I really was looking forward just to having a few years off. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to sit on a beach in Australia and chase girls and do things young people are supposed to do. And I uh, got this, my uncle, who I'm very close to, he was at a party and he was talking to this guy. Somehow I came up, he's like, oh, my nephew just got this MBA in finance and he's a really incredible guy. And the guy he was talking to said, you know what? We need traders in London. Like we're hiring. It was an option trading company. And so he called me up. He said, Lawrence, I really think you should talk to these guys. There's all this opportunity there. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to travel. Maybe I can work a bit first and, and make a bit of money. So I went to this interview and it ended up being 
two days of interviews. I probably had 15 interviews over two days. I'm on this trading floor in London. And I see they have, it was called Mako Trading. They have these big Mako, these little sharks in this huge aquarium, just money everywhere. I'm seeing these young kids, 26, 27, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I'm talking to them about what they're doing and they're bragging to me about the money they're making. So I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? Why don't I just put the travel on hold a bit? Maybe I'll work for six months, make a bit of money. And then when I go to Australia, I'll have, I'll have some money in my pocket. It'll be more fun. And then as soon as I started there, I realized that it wasn't something where you don't get paid a great salary every month. You get paid nothing for a year or two while you're learning. And then as soon as you start trading, you get a kind of a percentage of what you're making. So I ended up doing that for the rest of my 20s. And they had offices all over the world. So immediately they said, hey, would you work in our Amsterdam office in Holland? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. So I was there for a year. And then they said, hey, we're looking to expand to the US. We have offices in Chicago and New York. Would you be willing to go? And I was laughing inside because I thought, we're willing to go. I would pay to go. That was my thing. I want to travel the world. And now I get to travel, but I'm getting paid to travel. I'm learning skills. So it was fantastic. They sent me to Chicago in the summer. And then I was working on Wall Street in the winter. And then they sent me back to Chicago. And I was early 20s. They put me up in a beautiful high rise downtown Chicago for six months. And I used to walk to work. I was with a bunch of really great guys. I connected with all the Midwestern traders. They were just wonderful humans. And then I got very early. I, I went, I just walked into a jiu-jitsu and they had this really good boxing program. And the coach looked at me and he said, with that jawline, you can win the golden gloves if you train with me. And I said, I'm in. So like straight away, I just had this whole life in Chicago. And I moved an hour south because Indiana, Northwest Indiana is a better place to raise a family. But 22 years later, I'm still here. So it was the best decision is just take those risks when you're young and follow the unknown when you can before I didn't have any crazy commitments back then. One of my favorite quotes, Matt, is life has to be lived forward but it can only be understood when you look back. That was Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher. He wrote that in his journal. And I think about that quote all the time because it's so true that looking back, that was the best decision I made in my life was to say yes to that decision. Okay, I'm going to pick up and live out of a suitcase and move to a different country and try and create something myself. And it's been a wonderful journey. So I'm so happy. I always thank my blessings. You're very close to my uncle. And I should actually, after this, I should send him a message and say thank you again for that introduction all those years ago because it changed my life. Awesome. I'm making a note on my iPad right here in red. Red ink means action item. So reconnect with uncle and thank him. I'm going to hold you to that and reach out to you. That sounds awesome. I, I love the quote. Can you say the quote one more time for us? Well, he said, life has to be lived forward, but it can only be understood when we look backwards. And I just think about that. There's so many different times, like the mindless decision I made when I just sent my now wife a random message on Facebook Messenger. And that's not really something I used to do, but it was just this random afternoon and her face popped up, people you might know. And I was like, you know what? She's very attractive and she actually looks like she has some substance too. I'm going to shoot her a message and just say, I'd love to take you on a, I said, a romantic and a salubrious date. And she said, she responded, she said, that sounds lovely, but I'm in the Philippines for two weeks. When I'm back, let's get dinner. And she was actually at the time, she was actually at her mom's grave. Her mom had passed away a year before and she was almost talking to her mother and she was like, she'd been in this 11 year relationship and she was like, I want to meet someone to grow with and to build a family with. She was so disappointed after the end of that relationship. And she said she was just thinking those thoughts. And then my message came through and she said she felt like her mom sent me to her. But it's just, again, that thing, I could have easily have not done that. But it's like looking back at my life, it's like that random message, again, changed my life. So I just love that quote because there's so many times we can look back at where we're at and we can just see these tiny decisions or just these saying yes or saying no to opportunities 
completely changes our lives. So it's been really fun to do that. And I just want to note a couple things. One is that you're someone that has taken action. You haven't sat back on the bench in life. You've taken action, even if it's messaging a woman, if it's taking action to move over here. And the, the very tiny, nuanced frame that you shared with us was amazing. I hope our listeners take note of this. I got paid to travel while learning skills. What a phenomenal attitude as a lifelong learner for and two lifelong learners are speaking right now, dear listener, that you got paid to travel while learning skills. I love that, that you got to do something you want to do and learn skills while you're doing it and getting paid. How many times do we first look at the downside of something out there rather than, man, I get to do this, not, oh, I have to. So I love the way that you frame that. It was super sharp. I'm curious about this boxing and golden gloves. I have some friends who do jujitsu. Yeah, and they tell me how tough that is. My boxing friends also, because I've never boxed before, especially in a formal way like that. So I'm curious, what did you have to do to become a Golden Gloves champion in Chicago? That sounds like, wow, a whole podcast episode in itself to be the Golden Gloves champion in Chicago. So what was that like for us? So that was actually the first time I ever had success as an athlete. I guess I swam competitively and I ran competitively as in high school. And I had some mixed success. Like I won a few race swim meets and I think I always came top three when I did the, the running events. But I'd never really, as an adult, had a big athletic success. And the, in my weight class, it was, it was light heavyweight, 178, 178 pounds in Chicago. And Chicago is such a story that the Golden Gloves, the history there, Muhammad Ali came up from Louisville and he won the Chicago Golden Gloves, I think, in, before he turned pro. So it's just got such a wonderful history. And in my division, there was always 18 to 22 people. It was real tough. It's a knockout tournament. And at the time, I was working full-time too. So it was definitely an incredibly hard thing because... I'd work in the trading floor from six to two, six to three. And then I would rest a bit, have some food and then hit the gym and train really hard. And then as soon as you, you have a fight, the referee raises your arm and you win. And then you got to come back in five days for the next round. And then you got to come back the following week for the semifinal. And you, so it was four fights to win. There was so much pressure because every, the guys from the trading floor came. I was the youngest guy there. The average age of the guys in the trading pit with me was probably mid-30s. And here I was 26 at the time. And I'm just, I had so much pressure. And it really taught me how to deal with the pressure. Pressure makes diamonds, right? It can either make or break you. There's never been a world record that was ever set on a training track, right? It's always been set when you're under the lights and you've got the world watching you. That's when world records are made. And it was a wonderful occasion where I just harnessed that energy. And actually, as the tournament went on, I got better and I ended up, the first fight, I won a decision and I stopped the next three guys. And the final I won in a round, I just had so much momentum going for me. And it was just so fired up. And I, even now, looking back, I had a lot of other things I've won in jujitsu, things I've won, I had MMA fights, professional fights. But that's honestly one of my all-time favorite memories. So thank you for bringing it up. It, it, it warms my heart because it was just so difficult at the time. I was juggling so much pressure from work. Trading is very stressful. And uh, I actually got into boxing because I wanted a positive outlet. So if you talk to the guys on the trade floor, a lot of them were doing drugs or, or alcohol, drinking a lot, because that was their release from the stress of trading. And I saw as a very young man, I saw very early on, I was like, I've got to deal with this. And I've got two ways to deal with it. One is the negative way, drugs and alcohol. And one is going to the gym and just going to war. And my teammates were tough. I had in my boxing gym, there was probably, I don't know, seven or eight Golden Glove champions, Stefan Bonner, 
the late Stefan Bonner. He went on to the UFC, had this great career. He was my teammate too. Um, it was tough training. Even just a regular training day, I'd work all day on the training floor and then I was in the ring sparring Golden Glove champions who were, who were trying to kill each other. We, we went hard. So it was just that beautiful thing where it, it built a lot of character. And I learned that pressure and fear is not something to run away from. It's something to go towards. And I really love what you said earlier, by the way, Matt. It shows how astute you are. You said, when I realized to get paid for skills, and that's something I just want to emphasize because we're both parents now. And if my son came to me for advice and he said, I really want to do this, I would say a good lesson I learned actually from my uncle, that's the same one who had that wonderful conversation and changed my life, impacted my life. He was a very award-winning, celebrated photographer. And he still does photography now, but he's pretty much retired, but he does a little bit. And what he did when he first got started in photography is he worked for four of the top photographers in London and he worked as their assistant. And I know, I don't know all of them, but I know some of them, he actually did it for free. He literally volunteered his service and he said he learned all his skills from those top people. So it's just a way of cutting down the learning curve. So for me, like I'm established in real estate now, but if I had someone come to me and they say, listen, I'll pick up your keys, I'll do like almost menial work. And if I help you with that, can you teach me everything you know about real estate? I would take that trade all day long, right? Because he's going to save time. The best thing to offer successful people is any way you can save their time. So and it's that's a perfect trade. That's a win scenario, right? I give my knowledge, he saves my time. That's great advice for anyone who's young and they're trying to figure out what they're doing. Or even if you're a bit older and you're changing careers, it's not about, I would say in real estate, don't chase a commission because a commission is going to come and you're going to spend it and that's it. Chase a relationship and that's going to feed you forever. So it's the same with when you start a new career. What you're trying to do is you're not trying to make money from the career initially. What you're trying to do is be really competent and then you're going to get paid for those skills down the road. And the best way to get competent is to learn from those people that are where you're at and see if you can get to where they're at quicker. One of my one of my things I bring up a lot is I love Tim Ferriss. He has a wonderful podcast. He's written some incredible books. But there's one knock on him that he's so focused on life hacks. There's sometimes like there's no life hacks for jujitsu. He's been talking about how much he loves jujitsu for 15 years. He's still a white belt because there's no life hack to get a black belt. It's going to be a decade probably plus of hard training. I love the idea of being more efficient. But if you live your whole life trying to find life hacks for everything, I don't really think that's the, the way either. And I think it's easy to think that this is the mentality I used to have when I was young. If I do something and I tick a box, I'm good. And now what I've realized is I think the rest of my life till my dying day, I'm probably going to do something difficult every single day and I'm going to earn that day. And that's the life that I want because happy life is not sitting on a beach drinking margaritas. That might be good for two weeks. You'll be bored. So humans are happiest when we're progressing. And I just think those little victories where we overcome discomfort every day is something, it's a mindset shift of you're not trying to get to this mythical place and then you're going to be happy. No, I guarantee you, you and me and anyone listening to this, none of us are where we want to be in life. We all have goals and we're all striving for things, but we have to just remember that we have to be happy now. We can't wait to get to where we want to be happy because then it's too late. And that's something that's really come to me. Even the last year, I think 2023 came to me is I'm going to enjoy the journey. I've had some incredible ups in, in my life, but Matt, I've had some tough times. I got screwed over by a contractor. I lost nearly a million dollars. I got into debt because my dad was invested too, and, and I'm not going to let him lose money. So I've had plenty of downs. My old trading partner screwed me over too. I lost some money there. I've had lots of downs in life too, but life isn't always about wins. Again, coming back to that wonderful quote by Kierkegaard, looking back at my life at the time of some of my darkest moments was the kernel of growth, the things that I got out of climbing out of that hole. I'm so grateful for. So I always think it's such a weird mind experiment. 
and I know it's a bit of cliche to say, Matt, but if I could change yeah. it and, and just say someone had told me 10 years ago, hey, put $1,000 in Bitcoin, I'd have 100 million now of Bitcoin, I'd be a Bitcoin millionaire, I'd have no financial stress, I would have missed out all the growth, all the personal growth and the things I learned over the last decade, when I had a lot of money from trading, and then I made a lot of mistakes, and then I rebuilt and I changed careers. And at the time, it sucked. But now when I look back, I'm so glad I went through it. So I just want to stress that because anyone listening that's not really where they want to be in life, just remember that as terrible as the situation is, maybe it's a girl that rips your heart out, and you're just so devastated, and you're having really negative, dark thoughts thoughts and you can't see a future that's happy. It's, man, I had some tough breakups too, but you know what? I'm way happier now with my wife than any of my girlfriends. So they were all blessings. So it's just, it's such a, it's a point that I really want to emphasize is even the darkest times, as long as you just keep moving forward one step in front of the other, one day in front of the next, and you get to better times, a lot of the time we're going to look back at those periods and we're going to be so glad we went through them. And it's actually, I find that incredibly inspiring because it means that even really negative periods of your life are actually kind of the bottom of the greatest periods of your life, the wonderful mind shift that I've really been thinking about. Here's what I just heard, something amazing. I heard, we want progress, chase progress, and also learn to appreciate wherever you're at right now. So that's one thing I'm feeling I heard. I know your words were don't chase commissions, chase the relationship. You end up talking about progress. I feel that's finally important is to seek progress and learn to appreciate now. I want to go back and understand something. You talked about pressure. Uh, you talked about pressure when it came to boxing, when it came to the trading floor. Uh, I'm curious if you could kind of narrate your relationship with pressure from an early age until now, how your relationship, maybe it came from parents or it came from money or it came external, internal. Just talk to us for a little while about how your relationship with pressure has changed over time, if you wouldn't mind. For me, pressure is discomfort. And a lot of things, there's the discomfort in so many things that I do and so many things I've done since I was uh, a young man. And it comes with the realization that I know that I'm going to be glad when I've done it. For instance, I'm not going to feel good if I have a huge night drinking and I wake up with an incredibly thumping hangover. I'm not going to feel good. So I'm going to pay the price for that hedonistic fun. It's like the reverse of that is when I'm feeling sluggish and I really wanted to do a 10 mile run today, training run, and I didn't have a great night's sleep and I've got some work stress on my mind. My mind's racing and my back's kind of sore from jiu-jitsu yesterday. And, and I really don't want to go. I want to be lazy. But I know that if I push through and I force myself to do it, I'm going to feel so much better afterwards. And so there's so many things I can tell you. Every single pro MMA fight I had, the hundreds of jiu-jitsu tournaments that I've done, the day of every single one of those events, I used to think, I haven't got any problem with this guy. Why am I fighting this guy? I'm pretty happy. I don't really need to do this. It, it was never for money for me. It was all about personal growth and overcoming fear and trying to grow as a human. And there was always that part of me that you can call it the inner coward. You can call it the sensible part of your brain, that the self-protection part, where I never wanted to do it. And actually once or twice, I actually wanted to call my coach and, and not even go for some of those boxing events. But I always knew if I did it, I'd be happy I did it. And even if I lost, one thing I learned from my very first boxing fight at 23, I was out the night before with a young lady who I was from my New York office and she was in town and we just had the night to hang out and we did and we had a late night and we, we fooled around a bit and I got very no sleep and I had this real tough fight and it was three rounds and I think I won two of the three but he got the decision it was my very first boxing match and I remember after that I said you know what whatever happens now if I keep doing this 
I'm never, ever going to do something stupid like a late night before a fight. I'm always going to put my best effort in. I'm going to train properly. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to control the variables I can. And then, you know what? The results. Fighting is exciting because even sometimes you can be the better fighter and you can lose a fight. Or you can be the better jiu-jitsu athlete and get caught in submission. So ever since then, I never, ever didn't prepare well. And I had wins and I had losses, but I never beat myself up over it because I knew I prepared properly. And that was a beautiful thing. This idea of just knowing... I try and work out every day. Maybe once a month, there'll be a day where I'm feeling a bit run down or something. I, I don't get it done, but I try and do something physical every day. And there's so many days that I don't want to do it, but I just know that I'm going to feel better afterwards. So it's that self-imposed pressure where you just know that the key to happiness is doing hard things because we didn't evolve to sit behind a desk for 10 hours and not move and then eat three donuts and watch five hours of Netflix. Like We just didn't evolve to do that. We evolved to do hard things, to sweat and to strive and to struggle. And so just trying to build that struggle into your life. I actually was chatting to a good friend of mine and he was saying, isn't it so ironic? It was like back in the day, we had to do hard things to survive, right? We were outside doing manual work. We were trying to hunt animals and life was so hard. And now we've had this huge arc of humanity where we've done so well as a species that we've managed to create this life where we can be so sedentary and it can become so easy. And now we have to go to gyms and use weird equipment to do things that mimics just what people used to do outside. So, But that really is a secret for me is even on vacation, normally, like I'm, I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow and it's for Valentine's Day. My wife was, had a, she had a crazy like, infection that led to a blood infection. She was in the ER for, for five days. It was very stressful. So I'm going to take her to Hawaii Ooh. for Valentine's Day, just completely relax. She's okay, Matt, but it, it's, I'm so excited to go. But I promise you, I'm going to get a workout every single day because I know I'm going to enjoy that vacation more when I still move my body and I sweat. And I've got a friend with a jiu-jitsu gym there. I'm going to stop by a few times and I'm going to do hiking. And it's something that some people might think that's crazy, but I think it's crazy to the opposite because I know how I'm going to feel. So I have that. It's now built into the fabric of my life that I want to put pressure on myself to do something hard that I don't actually want to do because I know it's going to make me happier once it's done. Thank you for sharing with us how you put the internal pressure on to do hard things every day because you're going to feel good about it afterwards. And that's, that is such a nugget of wisdom. Thanks for that knowledge, Bob. I hope everyone takes notes on that. Anyone out there who might be crushing it in one area of life and neglecting your health or neglecting your sleep or neglecting your relationships at home if you're doing great at work, but everything else is suffering or just subpar, the hard thing for you might be to go and make it every day that you spend quality time with your family or make it every day that you go and exercise. I love the way that Lawrence has done this. So thank you for the nugget of wisdom. I mentioned it earlier. I'm super curious because I just ran so far my first marathon back here in Charlotte a few months ago. And now I'm meeting a man who's run a marathon uh, on every continent. So can you tell us a little bit of two things about your first marathon and then your Antarctica marathon. I'm curious about those two experiences for you, Lawrence. Congratulations on your first. Marathons are hard. Sometimes I'll run six miles or something and I'm thinking, Jesus, how do I run 20 miles first and then six to finish? I'm like, this six feels hard. And, you know, 26 is hard. So congratulations. Marathons are not easy. <laughs> yeah. I even heard from, I heard from an Olympic marathon champion and he said the same thing. It's like 26.2 miles is really hard. It's not easy. So uh, kudos to you. The first marathon, actually, I just had my first pro MMA fight and I was going to Thailand on a vacation, and there just happened to be the Bangkok Marathon when I'm there. And I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to do a marathon. Screw it. Let's do that. So I did that. And I, I I, the goal was sub four hours. I did it just under four hours, and it was so hard. It was so humid. We started, I think, at three in the morning. And even so, it was completely, it was just 
the sun was rising as we were finishing, but it was so humid and so hard. And I just fell in love with it. And it brought me full circle. I think at the time I was 30, it brought me full circle to my youth. I used to run the mile for school, the 1500 meters. It brought back all these memories. And so for me, ever since then, I've done a lot of running and it, for me, it's meditation. So a lot of people would say, do you meditate? And I'm trying to do a bit more meditation. I'm not a huge meditator, but for me, running is meditation. It's moving meditation. And actually, Thich Nhat Hanh, he had the very famous monk, I think it was Vietnamese, he wrote a lot on Buddhism, and he had his his retreat, actually, right by where my grandma used to live in the French wine country. I went there many years ago. It's so beautiful. And his big thing was he used to do walking meditation. And so he believed that just sitting there and trying to meditate wasn't good. He liked to walk and then meditate that way. And so for me, it's running is my meditation. So after that, I did a couple more marathons. And then I was turning 35 and I'd just broken up with an ex-girlfriend. And there was a race I always wanted to do. It's called the Two Oceans Ultramarathon in Cape Town, South Africa. And it was 35 miles. And what is the chances that the race was on my 35th birthday? I was like, okay, I got to do that. So I booked a ticket there, went to Cape Town. I I did that. And that was an incredible experience. Just the beautiful energy. They were singing songs before the start. And South Africa has an incredible like running tradition. There's a few very famous ultramarathon races there. And it's just, it's the running community community there is, is very beautiful. And then I realized, I was like, man, I've done four of the seven continents. I've got to do all the seven now. So I did a couple more. And then um, I was like, man, maybe I'll be the first black belt to have run a marathon on every continent. I was like, I don't know anyone else that's done it. They might be out there. I just haven't heard of them. So I was like, okay, how do I do a marathon in Antarctica? And there's a few packages where you can do. So Antarctica, you have the continent and then you have the surround. There's a few islands off Antarctica. And technically, it's all considered Antarctica. But the islands, so you have some packages that go to the islands. But for me, that wasn't the real Antarctica. It looks like it's muddy and it's brown. If you go there in the summer, there's barely any snow. I'm like, that's not really Antarctica. So I found this package. It was it was a private tour. And there was only six of us that went on this package. And it, it wasn't an official race. I was the only one that did the marathon. But they had held a marathon there before. So they knew where to do it. And it was basically four laps. And the lap was, there's glaciers all around. So you have to be very careful. But there was a four-mile runway that was on a solid point. And so they had me, they had a route around the runway. And I did four laps. And that was a marathon. And it was incredible. Being there is like being in space. You're so remote. That trip was incredible, Matt, because I went there with my wife. And the goal was to run a marathon. And it was very financially irresponsible. It was very expensive. And at the time, I was going through some tough times with this developer that I mentioned. Screwed me over. But I was like, you know what? You've got a lifetime to earn money. You don't have a lifetime to do cool things. So I went there to run this marathon to tick a box. What I didn't realize is that trip was really amazing. It's one of the most incredible weeks of, of both our lives. And we met. There was two other couples there, one from Israel, one from uh, Dubai. And they were incredibly successful CEOs. And just spending a week with them was really eye-opening. That we, we all became great friends. We're probably going to do some more trips together, the six of us. But just being around that kind of level of entrepreneurship and success. One of them had a company. He did the whole of waste management for the United Arab Emirates. He had 15,000 employees. And he was so overwhelmed with life. And he wanted to go to Antarctica to get away from everything so he couldn't get bothered with his phone. And it was just so interesting just talking to him, spending time with them, seeing that so many people we look at, if you're not where you want to be financially, you could look at a guy who's a multimillionaire or a billionaire and think just because he doesn't have any monetary problems, he doesn't have any problems. But I realized by talking to those yep. guys that a lot of the time, especially entrepreneurship and financially, you can get to an incredible level of success and it's just going to create more problems. So we have to be very careful about what we wish for and we shouldn't just chase. I really like what you said earlier. You said it may, maybe the athlete 
who it's easy for him to work out for two hours a day. But what's not easy for him is to put his phone away, not take work calls and be present with his wife and his two kids or whatever the story is. And so what I always tell people is, I want to be a black belt in life. I don't want to be a black belt just in jujitsu. I don't want to be just a black belt in finance. I want the analogy of, I want to be a black belt in life. And in order to be a black belt in life, that means that I want to have a great marriage, a great relationship with my wife, a great relationship with my son. I want to have a good circle of friends. I want to spend time with people that I want to be around. I want to be successful in my career, but not at the expense of other things. I want to put integrity above money. I've left so much money on the table in my life because I like helping people out. Like I use the real estate example. I'm always doing stuff. I'm helping out friends for free, or I'm even, I've given up commission to close deals because I'm not trying to chase a check. I'm trying to help people out as well. I'm just trying to think about if your life is a wheel and all these different aspects are spokes, which spokes are good and which spokes are short and, and need some nurturing and attention. And we all have the same 24 hours in the day. Maybe one of my biggest problems is I don't sleep enough because I'm, I'm trying to maximize my life and I'm always trying to do things and I'm a bit of a workaholic, but I like to do fun things and do family time. And it's easy just to not sleep enough. And then I'm grumpy. I'm not my best self. So it's trying to find what that aspect is. And the beautiful thing about it, I don't know if you find this beautiful, Matt, but I do, is it's a never-ending process of calibration and trying to learn yourself and learn what really makes you happy. And sometimes you're going to have to realize that people don't bring out the best in you or they have certain tendencies you don't want to be around. So you're spending less time with them. And it can be very difficult because a lot of people, I think a lot of entrepreneurs too, we tend to be people pleasers. So it's hard to say no to things. And then you realize that every time you say yes to something, you're actually saying no to something else, whether it's implicit or or, or not implicit. So um, it's just trying to figure all those things out. And I think the older I get, it's so funny because they talk about how a lot of people as they get older are actually happier. And I went through a bit of a midlife crisis when I had my last MMA fight. I was 35. I'd made all this money. I was a millionaire before I was 30 from trading. And then I'd squandered it and made some mistakes. And I'd gone through 2009 and lost a whole bunch of money in, in investments. And I was nearly at the bottom again. And I thought to myself, I thought, God, this is so depressing because I know I can create wealth again. I have a good work ethic. I believe in myself. But I'm retired from fighting. I'll never be in the same physical shape as I was in that last MMA fight. That was 35 years of training to get to this peak. I'll never get back there. I'll never have the same energy that I have. And I didn't see a life where I'd be as happy as I was then. I thought it would be a decline. And I was really bummed out about it. And what I didn't know then is what I think it's a really, I'd love to hear your opinion on this actually, is I didn't know what I didn't know. And for me, being a parent was only a negative. I'm going to lose my freedom. It's going to be this weight of responsibility. I can't be um, selfish, not being selfish in a bad way, being a bad person, but just doing cool things like jumping on a plane to go to Cape Town to do a 35 mile run, being be, do, just following my, my heart wherever it wants. And I saw that as a negative. And what I'm trying to emphasize is, and I'd love to know your opinion on this because we're the same, we're the same age in our forties is you don't know what you don't know. So I don't, I couldn't tell you back then the happiness I get from when I have an annoying afternoon and I walk in my door and my three dogs come running to me. And then my son says, dad, and he runs in my arms and I pick him up and I think, man, all that shit doesn't mean anything. You know, it just, it's like, it gives you so much happiness and perspective. It's like having a beating heart outside your body. I get so much happiness just from seeing him giggle and these little things, but I didn't know that back then. So it's that beautiful thing of the older you get, the more you know yourself and it, life isn't just about yes. being in the best physical shape to, to smash another human. That's not really what, what's going to bring you the most happiness. I, I'd love to know your opinion, though, Matt, on now we're both in our 40s. What is something now 
that you're so sure of, but maybe your 30 year old self just had no idea. You didn't know what you didn't know. That's a great question. My first thought would be, I used to be a businessman with a family and now I'm a family man with businesses. And the difference was that the business stuff was all through my own lens. And I thought that I was doing all of this for everyone else, for my family, for our legacy. And it was all just for me. And with a lot of coaching and therapy and you know, working with high-level leaders who'd already made the shift, uh, what I discovered over time is how to have patience and grace with myself as a recovering perfectionist and how to let go of some of the things you talked about, let go of some of the opportunities that sounded shiny and exciting uh, and realize that the shiny, exciting opportunity has been here the whole time. And I failed to realize it I love because of That's... all the things in life that have led to our upbringing, right? And then when you get to a point where you can finally have that self-awareness or that self-actualization where you have it all right here at your fingertips, it's all inside of you. It's all right here around us. Why are we chasing money? Why are we chasing legacy, fame, or whatever that status, that ego wants us to chase when we have it all right here. And I would say the thing that helped me to get there, I mean, coaching, I do coach high-level performers, really being coached, having accountability partners who will hold me accountable, will have a real conversation with me. I'd say that the, the biggest shifter for me has been when I started doing in 2015 in July, The Miracle Morning. Well, I got a friend, Hal Elrod, who wrote a book called The Miracle Morning, and I've been doing that now for about nine years. And that morning ritual to prime the day has just been the biggest shift for me because it's me time built in every single day, six days a week. And that has been the biggest primer for me that's helped me to get in that place where now I'm able to be present. Or before, it was always, I should be. The word of the, the perfectionist, should. But no, there's no more excuse and there's no more should be. It simply is what it is. And I get to be present with you right now. I get to be present with my children when they get home from school. I get to be present with Julie later on this evening. And she's amazing. She puts up with me. Have you shared all that? That's beautiful. Is when I get into that cold every day, I'm a big ardent believer in this cold plunging stuff. When I get into the cold water every day and just forget about everything else around me because when you're in the cold all you can think about is the cold and when you can learn how to breathe and meditate and be totally present and comfortable while you're discomfort in the cold that to me has been when i really start to turn a corner and i've been there for a few years now it's been a cool ride that'd be my opinion on the subject that whatever the question was i may have forgotten I it because that. i go down the rabbit hole sometimes <laughs> no, no matt <laughs> that, that was beautiful it's like uh, things now that that you didn't know then and that's beautiful i want to just yeah. point out two things there the first is a lot of the time you, you mentioned like being kind to yourself and a lot of time we treat our, our inner voice that talks to us we are way harder on ourselves than we would be to our best friend and that's something that i want to emphasize is so many people you would never talk to your f best friend like you would talk to yourself you'd have way more sympathy for your best friend you wouldn't be so hard you wouldn't be such an asshole so that's a huge thing and secondly, we are kindred spirits in many ways, Matt. I know we're both big readers. I got a cold punch. So I moved from a high rise in Chicago to this house in rural Indiana on eight acres, which has been wonderful. And I have a cold punch in my basement. What I a dream of mine was always to have a basement gym. So I have jujitsu, a jujitsu area, which I'm going to start training with my son. And then I have a weights area. I just put a cold plunge in there about nine months ago. I got the cold plunge for my health. For me, it's good for the body, the inflammation. But I'm not a morning person, and I hate the cold. So I absolutely love it. Every day I jump in that thing. It's freezing cold. It's three minutes, and it just 
I get out of it, when, when I get out, you're rushed with all those positive endorphins. And what I didn't realize is I did it for the physical benefits. I didn't realize that just the, literally the happy happiness I feel afterwards, the mental benefits have been incredible. So then yes. a lot of time I, I get on with my day and I'm riding this wave of happiness from all these endorphins I'm getting on there for hours. So we're definitely kindred spirits. Not this episode isn't sponsored by Plunge, but it should be, but it's just wonderful. <laughs> it's incredible. So I love that you said that. Awesome. There's so much more I want to cover. And at the same time, I want to respect our time. Where can we find you? I know you have a podcast. I know you have a giant presence out there in the social media. At least when I look at you on LinkedIn, it's pretty large. So I'm curious, where are the places that we can go find you, learn from you, you know, learn more about you? Uh, yeah, my LinkedIn and my Instagram are just my name, Lawrence Dunning. And the Lionheart is on iTunes and iTunes and Spotify. And I just try and have conversations like the one we're having now, where it's kindred spirits, it's lifelong learners, and we're all just trying to do our best. And I think it's so refreshing to hear other people. I've learned so much from podcasts. Like for me, a podcast is almost like a short audiobook. You get to listen to someone else's opinion and you get to hear a bit of their life story. And sometimes you can really empathize or you can learn from, or it just gives you a different perspective. And one thing we touched on, which I just want to talk about is, I think early on, you mentioned something about success. And I had a lot of success when I was young. And I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I suddenly, it connected the dots in my brain. And I realized I had a real tough time from about 35 to 40, that period. And I realized it was because I'd had too much success in my 20s. The bar had been set so high, and I'd done all these amazing things. You're becoming incredibly successful financially, being a bit of a playboy, having fun with all these different girls and traveling, and then all these athletic events and winning, and I had a great social circle. I had it all. And then when I had some hardships and I had to change careers and rebuild and retire from fighting and have some bad breakups, I'm so much happier now than I was then, but it took a bit of a longer time. And one thing I want to emphasize is if you're already chasing a goal and a lot of people, we have this natural thing as humans that instead of waiting five years for it, you want it in six months or we're a bit impatient. And I would just say, don't try to stretch things out. And it's a really weird thing. But if I got every goal that I ever wanted tomorrow, what's next? And you'll see this a lot with the uh, historic figures. If you look back at a lot of these people like Charles Darwin that changed the world, we, the, the way we see evolution or these huge figures, Isaac Newton, once they have these incredible discoveries, they write these books that have changed humanity. If you do a case study on a lot of these people, the end of their life, they were actually pretty miserable because they had done their great work. And then there was this kind of slow decline till the end. So it's such a weird reframing, but I think it's very important. It's something that I've really been thinking about recently is I saw it in my own life is I had too much success early on and there was a price to pay for that. And now I just want to stretch things out. So I can't wait to have a philosophical conversation with my young son when he's older, but I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wish for it. I'm going to enjoy the time that he's three and I'm tripping over his toys and he's having tantrums because I know before I know it, he's going to be 20 and he would have left. So it's like, it's, it's trying to not rush things and really enjoy where you're at in life. And that goes for everything. If you're a teenager and you haven't even started your career and your parents are driving you crazy, you'll miss those times one day, I promise you. It's the weirdest thing, the way the mind works. But we have this nostalgia for events that even at the time, maybe they weren't the best periods of our lives and you still have some fondness. And if you talk to a lot of very successful, especially financially successful entrepreneurs, they'll take, they'll say, they'll almost pine for that feeling when they were in the trenches and they were just struggling and just grinding and hustling for everything, and they hadn't achieved much success, they always pine for that moment. I think that's such an interesting thing to think about is don't rush it. Stretch out your, try and stretch things out. And I know it, it, it's such a cliche, but a lot of time cliches are, are cliches because they're true. 
So that idea of enjoying the journey. I remember when I got my black belt and I tied around my waist and that took nearly 20 years, competed in every continent except Antarctica. And I did so much to get it. And then I get it and you, you just have this almost anticlimactic feeling because you realize that, man, like when I look back, it wasn't getting the black belt. It was a nice ceremony, but it, what, that's not what, that has very little significance. What has significance is the struggles and going to the European championships as a brown belt and being in the final against an absolute beast and being up 6-4 and then looking at the clock and thinking, man, I'm going to be a European champion with two seconds to go. And then he gets a blast double and I look at the score and it's six, six, but he has an advantage and he wins the match. And I'm like, holy shit, that's frustrating. Ah! It's like things like that. Like, Matt, there's such fun memories because you know what it is? That's the struggle. It's weird how, I guess I'm at an age now where uh, just like you, are, we're both big readers. And I think we're reading and we're analyzing and we're seeing where there's crossover, there's truth and certain themes keep coming up and we're just trying to figure life out. And these, I'm just sharing you with you things that if we were having this conversation a year ago, I probably wouldn't have brought these up, but it's something I've really been thinking about as I analyze my own life is just stretch out those wins. Amazing, my friend. Amazing. I'm going to ask you for one book. And I know that this is probably the hardest question out there because you're an avid reader. But if you had to pick one book that has been inspirational to you, you'd recommend to others, what might the one recommendation you make today be? Oh, that's such a tough one. I'm going to give two because I'm an overachiever. I'm going to tell you about the <laughs> book that changed my life. Nice. Yes. And, but it's a long one, so it might not appeal to some people. So it's a novel by Anne Rand called The Fountainhead. And my old trading boss bought it for me. He was a horrible man, very insecure, treated me like garbage, real Napoleon complex. But the one nice thing he did is he bought me this book. He'd see me reading in the trading pit when it was slow. I would just sit and read. People read newspapers, I'd read books. And he said, have you read this book, Anne Rand's The Fountainhead? And I said, no, I've never even heard of Anne Rand. So he bought it for me and I read it. And I was like, man, I'm making all this money for this company and they're keeping 95% of it. What am I doing? Just quit and start my own trading company. And that's what I did. And it changed my life. And so that book, I always say changed my life. But it's also a 700 page novel. It's like a philosophical novel. Anne Rand was a human with lots of personal flaws. And a lot of people try and use those flaws to discount her philosophy. But she had an amazing mindset. And it's funny because she was writing about what happened to the Soviet Union in the 20s. And a lot of the themes a century later are very applicable. It's politicians with no skin in the game that are ruining things for hardworking Americans. So I would highly recommend that book. If, if you want a bit of a, an easier book, I'll give you a book that I've reread. I read it about a year ago and then I just reread it recently and I really like it. It's called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. And I think it's just so interesting because it talks, money is such a wonderful, it's such an interesting topic. I, I could talk for hours about the philosophy of money and a lot of people see money as a good thing or a bad thing. Money is simply an amplifier. If you're miserable and I give you a million dollars, I promise you, you're just going to be a, a miserable guy with a million dollars in the bank. And if you're happy with nothing and you have money, you're going to be happy with millions of dollars. Like money is an amplifier. But with money, if you harness it correctly, you can buy back your time. You can do great things. You can do great altruistic things for charity. You can just do great things for the people around you. So I really like that book. It talks a lot about the psychology and the philosophy behind money. And I would recommend everyone read that because if you're not familiar with money is something that it, it's just a tool and an amplifier. But if you, if, especially if you're young, if you have good habits that you do when you're young, you can set yourself up for life. And if you have bad habits, you can be in your late 40s and your early 50s and still be broke and in debt. So it's something that we really should take the time to learn because if you live in the West, the world revolves around money. Fantastic answer. Thank you. And I expected you might go overboard and share a couple of them there because that's the best answer possible. Yeah, overachiever. I'm going to share two or three. Last question. Well, I'm going to give you the last word here, my friend. The last question. Oh, certainly. 
I was just going to say, I would love to know, I can see a, a third of your books behind you, and that's a lot. I would love to know uh, a book recommendation from you, actually. Great question. Uh, I'll just grab the one I can see right now that I was talking about yesterday. Uh, Keith Cunningham wrote The Road Less Stupid, right? one of the best business manuals I've ever written or I've ever read. Uh, and I put a lot of my coaching practice around that concept in chapter four called thinking time and the discipline of thinking time. It ties back to the beginning of our conversation. You were talking about that famous quote where you reflect backwards. And I like to reflect backwards on everything. And I like to ask questions that have unlimited potential. So a lot of how might I questions in that thinking time. Keith Cunningham, The Road Less Stupid is one. Another one that's over here right now, I work a lot with my own personal relationship, The Love Dare. It's like a guide on how to be patient, how to honor your spouse or honor your significant other or honor whoever it is that's in your family. It has a bit of a faith-based component to it for those who have a strong faith. And yes, it has that. And if you don't have the strong faith, it still has a lot of working on yourself and how you show up for people you love. So those are a couple that come to mind. I had to give you two. Thank you, Matt. I wrote both those down and I haven't read either. So I'm going to add that to my reading list. Oh, yeah. Check out The Road Less Stupid. It's like the business book that I love it for sure. And yeah, love Dare for personal relationship building. So last question, Lawrence, and I'll give you the last word. The Eternal Optimist podcast is the name of our show. What does Eternal Optimist mean to you? For me, it means that we can choose if we want to be happy and optimistic, or if we want to be negative and pessimistic. And it's choice. And I I believe in freedom of choice. I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in freedom. And we have the freedom to decide. And my son's name is Victor, and he's named after Victor Frankl. I also love the French novelist Victor Hugo. His books are incredible. He was like an early champion of human rights in, in Europe. But Victor Frankl, for those that don't know, he wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. He's a survivor from the Holocaust camp, the the Nazi camps. And he realized that everything can be stripped away from man. But these people, they were in a concentration camp, slowly dying of starvation, overwork, and freezing cold conditions with no clothes. But even in that environment, we still have the capacity to choose. So for me, we have a choice. Like We can either go through life a certain way, or we can go through life a better way. And I want to be an eternal optimist. There's so many things. I don't look at the news, but if you do, there's wars in different countries. There's credible divide in America. So you can choose to focus on that and be pessimistic. Or you can say, you know what? There's people with terminal illnesses that have a few days to live that would kill to be in my position and just have health and have time. They don't have time. Warren Buffett may be one of the richest people in the world, but he's in his 90s. He has no time. If you're 25, if you're 45, if you're 55, he would give you millions of dollars for what you have time. I think that's one of the reasons when we first connected, I liked you already because I love the name of that podcast is Be an Eternal Optimist. And of course, we're all going to have bad days, but that doesn't mean we can't strive to be happy. And I just, happiness is something that I'm very passionate about. Like I've read so many books on positive psychology and happiness. And I just love that. I just love the name. I want to be an eternal optimist. And it's something that I think we should all strive for. And it's about just, we can either focus on what we don't have, or we can focus on what we do have. And I promise you, anyone listening to us talking, they might not be where they want to be in life, but I guarantee you they could write down a dozen things that they are grateful for. And so let's just focus on that. Let's all try and be eternal optimists. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm I'm really honored that Hector introduced us. Shout out to our, our mutual friend, Hector. And thank you. you. You've made me really, even just by titling your podcast and by having that kind of a be a theme, you've made me focus more on, on being optimistic and being happier. And I really love that.